Before we start today's show, here's a message from friend of the show and previous guest, Ternan Dueb. Hey you, do you like politics? No, of course you don't. Absolutely no one does. Politics is even less fun than that board game with the pegs. You know the one. Little pegs, little tiny multicoloured pegs. No one liked it. Yeah, that one. Exactly. The problem is, politics affects absolutely everything, from that game with the little pegs to your favourite cheese or what poncho to wear when it's humid but cloudy, all the way to less important stuff like education, health, affording to live and how many times you break your TV swearing at it because the Prime Minister has said something awful again. I'm Tina Duyeb, despite all of my efforts, and every week I waste away my Mondays to bring you the Partly Political Broadcast, a podcast that looks at politics with a dirty side-eye and then makes a ton of jokes about it before interviewing a different, genuinely clever guest each week who can actually explain it, and then just when you're sick of crying at the horror of everything, throws in jokes again. Phew! From your Brexits to your Trumps to your global crisis to your economies to your whatever-the-hell-happy-slapped-uncooked-dough-man Boris Johnson has said this week, subscribe and listen to Partly Political Broadcast on the podcast app of your choice and it will all be explained. Unlike that game with the pegs. You know the one. You know the one with the little, with the little coloured pegs. Ah, oh, it's such a stupid game. Partly Political Broadcast is out every Tuesday, ready to be fired into your ears like an unwarranted North Korean missile. Like most editors of major podcast dramas, I played the bass. The more you show off as a bassist, the more annoyed everyone gets. You kind of end up trying to take a different angle at creativity as a result. I think maybe that's the reason. I think also there's a kind of frustrated guitarist in most bassists. <laughs> yep. and, and editing is a thing where you can go, no, I have the key. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Andy. Hello, Andy. Hi, Dave. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right, and it's uh, it's it's not it's not what I would call early morning. No, uh, but it is morning, it's... and it's a Sunday morning, so it makes it kind of early morning anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it sort of. I think I got up about an hour ago, right? And uh, I felt. I didn't feel like I should hate myself for that kind of time I right. was waking it's up. Right, it's a reasonable time to get up, Yeah, for on sure. a Sunday, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's not like I had a long day yesterday, it was just, you know, it was Sunday, so right. it was time to get up when it was nine rather than six, so, right. yeah, it was, it was good, it's good. I and love I, Sundays. And I'm continuing in my tradition on getting better acquainted of uh, recording in a in a sound room, in a room designed for sound recording, but on my little Zoom mic rather than on the kind of actual good equipment. <laughs> uh, so people, you know, people who have opinions on sound quality will be pleased, hopefully, with today's episode because it will be more soundproof than normal. But they should also be irritated with me for not giving them the full sound experience <laughs> full that they experience. might have had. I think the Zoom is is never underrated, but like I think it, it's appropriately rated for this room. I was I was fine. All right, it's going to get boring immediately. Right? <laughs> um, but that bit of kit, it just comes out well produced. Yes, like it's, I it's, think so. Yeah. It's pretty good. Whereas if we use one of these 
bits that I have behind me. They're microphones for those of you who can't see who yeah. are anyone but us. <laughs> you, you've just got to do more work to it. Like if you sh- if you shove that in a project, it's going to be fine. And you know you can hear us beautifully in stereo and yeah. Right. I mean, and, and I'm a, I'm a kind of fan of, of of recording the room for these conversations anyway. And also I should say as well for people who like to puzzle about background sounds, we do have a dog uh, with us today who is currently chewing my foot. Well, my shoe, I should say. It's not giving me any pain. But there is a dog here, so you might hear the dog. It's my it's my sister's dog, Greta. She's a she's a <laughs> schnauzer poodle, a schnoodle. She sort of resembles a, a slightly dirty mop. Yeah, um, that's a very good description of her. And she's very young, so she's still very bitey. So if, ever, <laughs> if I scream in pain <laughs> right. in an interview, right. it's because she's showing me a bit of love that I didn't ask for. Yeah, I mean, um, for, for people at home, I have shoes on, uh, Andy doesn't. So that would, ex- <laughs> if there is pain, it, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> the first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? How do I know you? I think we mostly sort of met through the internet. So y- you interviewed many of my collaborators that's right yeah and then we started seeing each other on the many facebook forums that deal with podcasting and radio drama and that kind of thing right and then i think we just ended up meeting at some sort of event close to that wasn't it yeah i mean we'll have met at a podcast event i mean i remember talking to you at the british podcast awards yes yeah yeah, um, yeah. and i'm not sure if that was the first time we met because we had a bit of context before that, so we were definitely talking to each other as people who knew of each other. I feel but like we just it like, might have been our first time. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like that's the first proper chat we had yeah. in person. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah and uh, it, it was a fun one because we both just come out of an award ceremony where we'd done pretty good, both of us. Yeah. But like, I think six glasses of free wine in, we were being like, oh, why didn't we get gold? <laughs> yeah, there, might have been a, there might have been an element an element of that kind of thinking. I mean, certainly, I, I guess with award ceremonies, it's a complicated thing for independent artists because yeah. they cost money to submit to. Yeah. Uh, so you've already laid out some money, so it makes you a little bit more entitled about winning them than, yeah, yeah, than, yeah, you, yeah. than you would have been otherwise. I've paid for this award. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, yeah. You're, and you're up against, inevitably in audio, if you're independent you're also up against people with better resources than you as well so that is another thing that makes it complicated like I've been up for Sony Awards and uh, Radio Production Awards and I've not won those where at least at the British Podcast Awards I got bronze Yeah. but like when you're up against people with proper resources it's even more like you get the hope you get the hope you're like oh finally independent podcasting or we could break through this I'm not going to say glass ceiling because that's a misappropriation but uh, like I guess the sort of like a surface tension on the top of of, uh, independent broadcasting where you know if you could just kind of get over the top and take the gulping air of loads of money you could right. like, make something that could compete with those people I mean we, we were sort of we had this in a really fun way when uh, Overcoats got nominated for the pre-Europa award right. where me and John ended up going out to Berlin which was obviously hugely expensive to compete in a digital audio category and what do you think digital audio means? I mean podcasting right? yeah you'd think um, what it meant was any application which in some way used the internet in some way wow. while doing okay. an audio thing. And so Wooden Overcoats was in there, you know, quaint sitcom about rival funeral directors on a tiny island, versus the BBC's Syria documentary where they were getting people who were hiding from ISIS to pass out tapes <laughs> of their experience trying to avoid ISIS to, like, right. intrepid journalists and then getting them online in, in their full, like, unedited transcript. Well, not full, fully unedited, just edited to protect the identities of people right. as well as doing a series on Radio 4 and releasing it as a podcast and we were kind of like if we beat this that's just 
awful. Like that's yes, never going right, to happen. Right. Um, and so, like, we kind of ended up just going, "All right, well, let's let's just take in all these wonderful Icelandic documentaries about landslides and stuff, and just sit here going, well, we're never going to win.' So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the resourcing thing is always yeah. It's it, I find it fascinating that I feel like the industry looks at podcasters and goes like oh we really should be paying attention to these people right and so they kind of put us into stuff like this there's never any intention of us winning it right. it's just kind of like going look we put a spotlight on you now good for you right <laughs> and it's, and also because of that like like you say you end up being kind of in a category that is not an actual category yeah like i remember that like 10 years ago when i didn't even know what a podcast was but a podcast that i wrote got nominated for a sony award regardless i remember like we were up against answer me this but we were also up against like a really religious pro- program like like, like <laughs> yeah. you say you know and I'd like a program about nature and stuff like this and it's like it's not that I think that I should beat these other people but I just don't think that we're in the same category yeah yeah like that's and so it's super well, weird how is anyone supposed to make a value judgment about which one of these is best right yeah but then that's the, a, a problem kind of that underlines kind of all awards yeah. ceremonies to a certain extent it's like best actor Oscars is still like a comedy actor versus a, a, a dramatic actor versus you know all, and, and they're not the same things so. yeah yeah. It's hard kind of, to judge them on the same values. Which is best, religion or chainsaws? It's like, <laughs> like what, what do you? <laughs> right, 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 right. I find them baffling, like necessary, because like there's something particularly when it comes to sort of approaching news media or anyone who's ever going to tell anyone else about your kind of show or your endeavour. Right. That going like nominated for these things, they go, oh, it's worth my time to even look. Exactly. At you now. Yeah, it gets you in the door. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's definitely been something I've felt and experienced. And I guess, you know, one of the things that I guess we should say is that whilst we are both, broadly speaking, you could call us independent podcasters, yeah. we've kind of both got, in different ways, our feet in different doors. And so, <laughs> it, so to a truly... I mean, I guess when I started podcasting, I was a truly independent podcaster. But since then, I've, you know, worked with CBBS or, like, Radio 4 or whatever. And so by this point, like, I'm slightly an insider as well as an outsider. And you even more so. Right, or yeah. an insider to a certain um, extent. I, I, in a very odd way, so it's sort of that's half true. Right. Where <laughs> people who are insiders see me as a plucky outsider, independent broadcaster person, and then people who are podcasters yeah. tend to go, oh, he's worked for Patrick and stuff. Exactly. So that's he's, he's sort not a of real where podcaster. I am, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I sit in the no man's land in between because, you know, I'm still a, I'm a freelancer. Well, so. they go, oh, you've been um, on Radio 4, so you must be making a living from it. Yeah. No, not, no. not at all. Oh, God. No. <laughs> Have you seen their rates? <laughs> their, their rates are very reasonable they're much better than yeah. probably other of us can offer but right. it's still only a day's work it's I mean like, absolutely I mean yeah. I got £300 for a, an episode of Forethought that's great oh. <laughs> okay so for listeners what happened then was the dog uh, grabbed the lead for the <laughs> headphones and pulled it over and you're lucky because you are still in, in existence sometimes it, <laughs> it, it zooms very good but if it falls on the floor and uh, loses its power you, you will lose what you're recording so I'm uh, very pleased oh, yeah, of course that didn't happen it doesn't, it doesn't write record does it oh, no that would have been awful you'd have been in such trouble greater um, right so, hang on, so, and so what were, where, where were we where were we we were talking rates BBC um, oh yeah right so yeah for a f- episode of Forethought I got £300 which is great mm. I mean it's much better than what The Guardian paid me for a comment is free piece which was 80 quid um but like at the same time, being in the Guardian and and, and the Radio Four doesn't pay my bills. No. Clearly, three hundred and eighty pounds no, no. isn't even you know even isn't even half of rent. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And similarly for me, you know, I think the the biggest thing I've I've had this year is a BBC Wales pilot that I, I was doing the kind of record and edit for, and that you know it's still it's it's eight days work. 
and then after those eight days you're kind of like okay well where's the next gig right. <laughs> what's going to happen now and like you know as insider as you can start looking as long as you're still a freelancer and as long as you don't have a salary job as a producer in the BBC like you're you're still going to kind of exist in a liminal space exactly the two. yeah that's where we're both at really I guess kind of banging on this not glass ceiling, but this kind of uh, this the surface above us. Yeah. Uh, whilst at the same time being close enough to that surface to to look like a pond skater to people <laughs> yeah. people who are a little bit lower down than us. Yeah, yeah. I guess we're water boat people. Or yeah. Water boat men. I guess we can say that because we're both men. That's nice. Like that. <laughs> water boat men. What? What's that? Oh god, but this is a weird tangent. Um, what's that insect that kind of runs on the top? So pond skaters on the top, oh, and water boatmen's underneath. Oh, like, so kind of so we like water boat boatmen, yeah. but there are people who are pond skaters. Pond we skaters. can see, but yeah, everyone's yeah. misidentifying us as as uh, pond skaters. I yeah, feel. yeah. Well, what's a duck in this context? <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, that's about Netflix or the you know, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's the people are really doing well. Whoever's head of Audible now? Because I mean, that's the point. I mean, even like even pond skaters are struggling. Yeah, like, yeah. And this is the thing: the whole ecosystem is not is not great. Necessarily. Necessarily in this in this metaphor that we've created. <laughs> so the second question that I ask everybody is, what do you do now? Which I guess we've already started to cover. But what do you do now? I've started to weirdly manage to kind of make a living out of drama podcasting, and I think it's because in London, if people think of them, they think of either me or John Wakefield, and John has a job, so <laughs> <laughs> so I've got all the spare work. So at the moment, I'm editing a five part series for the Militarist podcast which is a lot of short plays by a lot of really great writers. Ministries have a, a night, a really long-running night at the Arcola. Right. Where it's kind of new and exciting writers put on their work, and they wanted to kind of get an internet platform for it so that they could, you know, show it off better, which makes sense. And, you know, they came to me and they kick-started it, and so we got enough money to hire me full-time to get it done, which is really fun and really exciting. And apart from that I'm basically just scrapping for bits of recording work until December when Overcoat starts right yeah series three we record in December due to be out sort of Aprilish next right time. and the, they've had their second successful Kickstarter for that as well right? yeah yeah that was that was crazy in the first weekend we'd made the initial target which was eight grand and then in the first week we made the stretch target which was ten grand which uh, means that we're going to do a summer special which ruins a whole season mm-hmm. um, and then you know we, we pushed for uh, a Halloween special on top but we, we haven't quite made it we, we got we ended up raising 13 grand in total and I think it was because people really wanted it to happen so they pushed for that kind of first thing and then and then we're like oh you got it now so yeah 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 <laughs> stretch, stretch goals are harder to mobilise people yeah, around yeah. I think definitely that's true but it's amazing what, what Wooden Overcoats have achieved with those crowdfunding campaigns and uh, you know it's I think it it, it it speaks to the quality of Wooden Overcoats definitely I'm, I'm certainly not going to suggest that, that it's not an incredibly well made and well written uh, piece of work but I also think it speaks to kind of the desperation of kind of audiences for something kind of dramatic that, yeah. actually, that is in audio that, that, that kind of rewards them in the ways that we want these things to do and I think the the BBC in many ways have, have dropped the ball on drama and comedy in many ways, not all the time, not in all senses, and maybe I'm a bit bitter because they never, never <laughs> let, uh, you know, respond to any of my pitches. But like, I think Wooden Overcoats have sort of stepped into that space, yeah, because it certainly isn't the case that every up and coming drama or comedy that's kind of a, a podcast can get that level of crowdfunding. It's sure, kind of a, you you were all in the right moment, in the right place at the right time, and I'm really pleased that yeah. it's gone really I well. Think we for you. we were sort of lucky because we we got on the boat early, 
Um, right, right. Like, loads of people have started doing this stuff now, and I think it would be much harder to do wooden overcoats, certainly as we did it initially in, in the current space and really kind of service in the way that we have. Like, I think we were early enough and committed enough to kind of gain the profile that we do. It, it, it's interesting, the comparison to the BBC and, and the way they do their output, because I was talking to... Do you, do you know Alex, Alex Lynch? Have you ever met him? Uh, I think I've, I know of him I don't think I've met him he was one of the writers on um, our fun fragments bit um, right. but he's also had uh, his own sitcom on uh, on Radio 4 which is it's a, a, about being a work experience kind of person and he was saying that his experience there is that the BBC do no marketing for you right that's so, what I found as um, well. yeah yeah so it comes out and the people who are listening hear it you know if they're suitably motivated they might look it up on iPlayer so they can hear the rest of the series um, but apart from that, you have to do all your plugging yourself. Which is quite ironic, because the main thing that you want those kind of organisations for is that stuff. Like, yeah, the, is... the thing you want as an artist is to not have to pr- constantly promote it. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you get the BBC, you're like, yeah, and then you have to constantly promote it. It's like, yeah. yeah. Which I think I think is a, a uniquely Radio 4 pro- problem. Right. right? If, you're, right. if you're on sort of BBC 3 or like a, a kind of major television thing, i.e. A, a space that the comedy department really care about. Right. Then you'll right, start getting course, yeah. uh, like advertising space and like, you know, they, they plug it on social media and they have all that <laughs> stuff in place for it. I mean it also applies to CBB's radio uh, listeners. Uh which was, CBB's radio. There was and it was never the the entire o- option was yeah. never promoted. Oh my like, god. So not oh. even we so our show went out, we did a show with CBB's called the Ministry of Stories, which was designed for children. Like children's the kids wrote the stories as well, like mostly. Like we co created it with the children and then I wrote these little sketches for for Jenny Murray from Woman's Hour. So it wasn't like there wasn't a, a wow. big name on the on the project, right? Yeah. And Ministry of Stories themselves are like uh, their pa- the, you know the patrons include uh, Nick Hornby and Stephen Fry. So it's not like they're a completely yeah, yeah. unknown organisation. Uh, so you'd think that would get like promoted on Woman's Hour, for example. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. Right, but also like the the entire thing, they made it so that it wasn't even a podcast. It was kind of like streamable internet radio that you uh, find on their website. Oh uh, yeah, exactly. And, and they so, didn't put it out as a then, podcast because of the rule. Right. Well, happened. I think they put one out as a podcast. But yeah. Like it, you've got to you know generate some interest before you can get yeah. like listeners, and they weren't prepared to do that kind of a thing. Yeah, and then they'll go, oh, I didn't get much uptake, so we're not going to do any more. Right. And it's kind of like, well, no, no wonder it didn't. <laughs> and a similar thing happened with a with a uh, with a. A, a pilot that Spark London was involved with about true storytelling, bringing together all the kind of true storytelling across the country that went out on Radio Four once and then was was never promoted. Was swiftly can and and, yeah. and and at the same time, then they they, you know, I think it was like a, a week later when they 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 bought the moth for Radio Four Extra. So yeah. they, they're having a me- the American version of what we could do for them from the UK <laughs> yeah. you know with British people's stories which I think you know the, I, I'm, I'm pro an internationalist world but I think you know the BBC do have British in the actual title I mean I'm yeah. not I'm not pro UKIP but I do think maybe British voices on British radio might be a bit more of a priority <laughs> than American ones you know uh, I will I will say at this point uh, Radio 4 Extra Wooden Overcoats is still available to buy if you ever want right, to license right. it uh, we've, we've had a yeah yeah please work with me BBC I, I'm sorry to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we, we've, we've had a, a long back and forth with Radio 4 Extra where they seem really interested and seem to be blocked by some kind of bureaucratic reason why they can't get it. Um, right. And so we, we've gone in loops several times where we've been like, oh, it looks like it's going to... Oh, no, it's not going to happen. Yeah, and yeah, for a couple of years now. And I think I think partly it's just the amount of episodes we have where right. you know we've got, we've got 16 plus specials now. And to yeah. commission a... Well, to buy like a four-parter for Radio Four, they spend like 
you know, roughly about 20 grand in a half hour. And so the economy of scale there where we're going, you know, no, we don't we don't want to sell it to you for that much, but right. like, well, we kind of have to buy it for that much because of our, That's our, our rules. And, yeah. and so there's sort of a dead end where we, we can't reconcile how many episodes we have with their budget. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely like an inflexibility that, that, that makes it hard to, to get onto the BBC generally. Yeah. Again, like as much as I've said a couple of negative things about the BBC, not just because I want them to hire me, I also do think, you know, having a, a nationalised uh, media company, like I'm in favour of nationalisation of lots of services. Mm. Um, so I, I like just like the NHS, I support the BBC as an institution, uh, but just like the NHS, I think it could do with being reformed once we save it. Yeah. Um. Um, my old radio tutor had a really interesting idea for what to do with the licence fee. Because he, he sort of came up through, a guy called Tim Crook, he came up through uh, independent radio and journalism and those kind of things. So he kind of started off as a crime reporter and then ended up working for LBC and then ended up making dramas for LBC. They used to wow. do that before Global bought them. His kind of idea for it was that you, you, know, you keep the enormous money pot and then you go alright, all the independents have to apply to this money pot in the same way that, you know, when you uh, apply to do a show on Channel 4, there's essentially a, a panel who are just a commissioning panel and then they have the pot of money and they give it out only to right. independents. Um, and so that would go for any kind of distribution model like the channels and like kind of internet streaming services and that kind of thing, and it would all be divvied out that way so you wouldn't have a kind of efficient inefficient monolith right. you still have a nationalised radio output which, right. which necessarily wouldn't have advertising on it because it was paid for on, off the licence fee right. so I think it's a really interesting model like, um, but I, I kind of also don't want to see the BBC smashed to tiny pieces. So. No, exactly. Uh, but being that said, the, the, the comparison between a, a BBC drama and uh, Wooden Overcoats, or a BBC comedy and, 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 and Wooden Overcoats, is, a, is, a, is an apt one too, because what Wooden Overcoats is doing, which I think is really interesting, is it is doing that radio drama kind of tradition. Mm. Like, it, you, you have a score, you've yeah. got, you know, you've got writers, you've got directors, you've got, like, all of the this, like... Not massive, but a big in infrastructure around I'd say it's you. pretty massive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, a lot of the production decisions at the start of it were essentially me and John going, how stupidly big can we can we make this? Um, the answer was very. Very stupidly <laughs> big. Yeah, I think, the, I think the first season had over 50 people involved in making it, which for uh, a podcast which was made on, the first season was made on two grand, that we borrowed off John's dad right. and then gave it back to him from proceeds from the live shows. And we we did pay that back. Right, 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 right. <laughs> it would it would have been self sustaining if you know one of us happened to have two grand to pay for it in the first place. But you know we managed to make this enormous ridiculous thing of of virtually no money. And so of course after the first series we went well we can't we can't take the piss like that again. Right. <laughs> We've got to pay people. <clears throat> right, uh, so right, right. Where the crowdfunding came from. And that's an interesting thing about it because a lot of podcasts that are going into kind of drama or comedy. My own podcast the family tree included a lot of them are trying to kind of twist or kind of manipulate existing podcast tropes i yeah. guess i'd like playing with that like there's a lot of like found tapes or yeah. like mine is in the form of a of an in, in conversation podcast but there's been like investigative journalism style serial uh, dramas uh, increasingly there's there's all of those kinds of things um, and in the middle of all of that is this incredibly successful really traditional in lots of ways not in other ways like I think yeah. it's, it's, it's it's what the BBC comedy should be which is like relevant and exciting and actually human and, and, and engaging but at the same time it is in a sound studio it is being edited in a much more traditional kind of 
of theatre style, I guess. Mm. Right? I think from an editorial point of view, um, if you like starting from those really familiar archetypes, like essentially what we've got is somewhere between like a Steptoe and Stun, Only Fools and Horses y kind of <laughs> yeah. Father Ted mashup. Right. Where you you're you're really familiar with these kind of sitcom stereotypes and who they are. Yeah. And then using that kind of platform and that familiarity to tackle issues that you kind of don't see in those sitcoms where you know you've got Antigone who is a fundamentally quite damaged person that gets addressed quite a lot and then you've got in the background you have the relationship between the mayor and the reverend where it's not highlighted in the way that it would be in one of those traditional right, sitcoms and, those right. kind of, and I think a lot of uh, what I like about David's writing is he kind of takes modern relationships and problems and issues as a given rather than as a thing that's worth kind of pointing a finger at and highlighting and then kind of builds the plots as they would normally happen in a in a sitcom where someone tries to do something and fails and that's funny right. <laughs> around these you know nice and modern and refreshing relationships which yeah it's one thing i really like about his work why i like to keep working with him because it would be so easy for Wooden Overcoats to be an absolute shit show, uh, <laughs> where you yeah. you know you have all these relationships and it is still you know seventies comedy and right. you know we're, we're laughing at women and and gay people and and you, you could have that in there and yep. it's so nice that it just doesn't we've never had to come across that problem we've never had to send a script back and right. go like. Why, why have you written this? <laughs> right. um, and those shit. So I mean, those shit shows do still exist as well. I mean, absolutely. like as much as the seventies, you can you can you can kind of not forgive, but you can watch those seventies comedies or listen to those seventies comedies and go, they they had some elements that you can kind of not exactly forgive, but go that's a product of the time or whatever, like social mores, etc. When yeah. you see that that is the same now and it hasn't even changed since the seventies, which is a long time ago now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like that's quite shocking, and so it's great that uh, that wouldn't overcome. Are, are breaking that mo mode. It's just a shame that you have to, you've had to go independent and be outside of the kind of bigger system. I, w I wonder. I think. I think that's a slightly, a slightly unfair on the bigger system analysis. Where okay. I, I don't think the the bigger system has an entrenched like desire to create content which is retrograde. Which is retrograde. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think. I think the the luxury that we have. Um, as an independent, is that we never have to ask anyone when we want to make a choice like that, right. and so there'd be no chance of anyone saying no. But right. really, like the main motivator for being independent was that we were never going to get pictures off the ground. Otherwise, you know, I mean, John and I started producing overcoats when we were when we were twenty three, uh, so we wouldn't really be taken seriously in a pitching room. Right. Uh, and David uh, had had a couple of successful plays, like he had a, a play that was that keeps getting. Keeps getting licensed to be performed in like Korea and India and all over the world and stuff, but that's really kind of the extent of what he'd done until until we kind of all made this together, and so it was very much a sort of career loss leader for all of us. Right, but creative um, success, like a cre finally being able to do the things that you might have wanted to yeah, do, right? Yeah, absolutely. And to, to kind of tackle something that was really huge, um, which yeah. which yeah, yeah. Um, which is you know enormously creatively fulfilling, yeah, definitely. Uh, and very addictive. <laughs> and so I kind of you know uh, it was after then that I just started trying to do too much uh, <laughs> before this year where I've sort of reined myself back in again and gone like alright what, what can I feasibly make in a year right. without going mad and losing all my friends right it's, 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 it's hard to change that kind of uh, mentality that you get of like it's best to say yes to everything yeah, yeah. And like finding that point where you no, I have to say no to some stuff, or I literally just—I'm I, I, not—I don't—I don't exist but work. Yeah, you sort of—yeah, you sort of become a bit of a mad dog as well, and the quality goes down. Right, you, you end up just 
sat at your computer for such a long time, staring at waveforms, going, like, it's good, I'm sure it's good, and then you listen back to it in two days, and, like, your levels are all over the place, you've got, like, you know, people walking into the room on the left, and, and then talking, like, on the right, and then on the left again, and all, like, all those kind of really basic mistakes start sneaking in, because your ears genuinely get tired, like, it's it's a phenomenon, like, yeah, definitely. you can't do it for too long. Um, right. So in terms of your, I mean, in terms of what you do for uh, the miniaturists or for wooden overcoats, what, mm. how, what would, how would you describe that that job that you do? Um, I mean, radio is a particularly special beast because you kind of imagine it. I mean, in theatre, a producer will have the creative involvement on the kind of skeletal, like the budget, basically, and that's right. how they kind of pull the strings. And then in in telly, they essentially either raise money or like kind of fill in all the admin jobs that no one else wants to right. do apart from the production manager but then in radio you sort of do everything yeah um, i mean nine times out of ten like a producer is also a director yeah in yeah. In, in, in audio absolutely so for wooden overcoats and the minis are doing the same thing where i like to describe the in-studio thing as being a kind of dop for radio because i do a lot of work with stereo setups and kind of thinking about how the space should be when it's gone through my edit process. Right, right. Um, and you have your stereo set up and then you go, all right, I want you coming in from what will be this part of the room once I've soundscaped it all out and that kind of thing. And then you can create that blocking and stuff. So I do that. And then if there's not a director as well, I'll also do the directing with the actors, which is enormously fun in studio because like, people are on book and it's all very relaxed. You can kind of ask people to make choices that you'd never bother to try if they were doing something in theatre or on camera right. because you know if they completely botch it you just hit the top back and go oh, it's, it's, that was terrible right. <laughs> and also the, the beauty of audio as well is you can do anything with le- lower budget you, yeah. know, you can go to Mars you don't have to create Mars yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and also you, you've got the brilliant kind of element of you can't see the performer mm. so you you can pick people for things they can do with their voice that they could never inhabit physically on stage. Absolutely, right? yeah. So yeah. those are really great kind of freeing things for performers and for directors. Yeah, I mean, in one of the mini shows, we have a thing where Eileen wrote a really wonderful script, but it had about 16 characters in it. Because it's only 20 minutes long, it would have been involved you know, calling people across town for two lines and that kind of thing. And some of them were sort of older actors. Well, they'd have had to be older actors of, uh, like, particular uh, race casting and that kind of thing. Right. And it, it, it turned into such a logistical nightmare that I went, all right, let's just cast all the young ones, because that's really hard to fake if you're older. And then we'll get them to fake their parents. You have this thing where, <laughs> like, most of the leads in it end up playing their dad or their mum at some point in the show. Right. And it, it works quite well um, in the edit. Like, I mean, that's a really... I think that's a really a, an interesting... Kind of... That'll bring a lot of qualities to the performance. Yeah, it's the same person. It makes it yeah, sort of a, a character choice, and like it works really nicely. I'm glad to say it could have gone horribly wrong, yeah. and then I'd have had to do loads of spot records and stuff, and it would have taken ages. But yeah, luckily it's gone well. Sorry if I sound a little distracted. The dog is literally chewing the carpet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, that that liberation, that freedom, can can allow for great uh, decisions and terrible decisions. And I think mm. I've done both in my in my life as a as an audio person. Like at university, uh, I wrote and made radio plays where uh, definitely there were people who weren't the ethnicity that they were playing, playing those ethnicities. And as much as I, uh, in that moment in my head, was trying to do a version of what I now would call representation, now I look back at that and go, that is the most problematic uh, decisions I've made of all time. Whereas with the family tree, though, like our policy is that any any ethnicity can play white people because that's the the standard in culture. So everybody has a window into what it's like to be a white person. Uh, And in fact, maybe if 
people of colour are playing white people, they'll have a perspective on that that a white person wouldn't even have the outwards ability to see themselves from. Um, whereas we have people, if they're playing any kind of marginalised group, or what, whether it be ethnicity or sexuality or whatever, or gender, like we have someone who has that experience playing them because yeah. that will bring more to their role uh, and not kind of take a, a job for somebody <laughs> who a, needs it. It's a really interesting it a philosophical mm-hmm. choice, that. Uh, I, I, I really like it. Um, it, makes, it makes problems in some ways, though. Yeah. Like, it, for, season, for season two and season three, we, we want to kind of increase the different amounts of ethnicities that we're representing which yeah. as I think we've talked about this a bit on a Facebook post causes us kind of problems as as kind of white people with a limited amount of kind of people of colour uh, performer friends who are yeah. interested in doing it kind of puts us into a position where oh shit now we actually have to put our money where our mouth is and find uh, people to play these roles because uh, we, we can't go back on what we've already stated as uh, well. uh, this is this is a it's a sort of a, a delicate area of For working sure. in this in this <laughs> industry it's always a really tricky thing where i mean we we sort of started going to casting websites to try and help with this issue with kind of most of our stuff but the i I, i'm going to try and represent this as as fairly and uh, as i can but there's a sort of there's an issue where i as a as as a, a white person working in in london have a lot of contacts who are white home counties female actors so if you write a really good white home counties female part i could find you a really amazing actor for it like that yeah whereas if you write say for example a a a black lady from the american deep south who's in her 50s right i maybe maybe at a push have a pool of one person right that i could find in london and uh and you know you could find a casting director who could find you a few more right. but like there is there is genuinely like a kind of a macroeconomic pressure there right. where your choices are much smaller i always find this like a really really tricky problem to surmount where i kind of want to go yes i want as much representation as possible in anything that i make and i want there to be voices which aren't white people heard in these things yeah. and it's by no means an excuse to not write these people but you do get to a point when you kind of have a script in front of you and you go okay i've got to cast this part yeah how the hell yeah. am i going to cast yeah. this part yeah. uh, and often you'll end up going okay well we're going to have to make compromises here yeah uh, because the the casting pool is so small, so I'm going to also take you know middle-aged black ladies of, of from en- of any origin, right? Exactly. And then get them to do the accent yeah, yeah, yeah. and that kind of thing, and so you sort of lose that authentic experience to an extent. And so I guess what I'm saying is there are there are to an extent diminishing returns on attempting to strive for full representation if you don't have live, the money as well. Don't have the yeah, money, yeah. and you don't live where you're trying to set it. Yeah, I think that the the way that we weigh up what we think about people's choices has to also include kind of a financial element. So I think like yeah. me as a student, like doing that is a different thing to judge than multinational corporations yeah. not finding people. Yeah, yeah. And like and, Hollywood and, whitewashing is far right. worse than you whitewashing in your shooting radio. <laughs> and, 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 and you know, in that respect, that is that is everywhere. Like I love like it's one of my favourite programmes of all time. Like I love Bojack Horseman, right? Yeah. I love it. I like it you know, it made it, the last series made me cry. Like it's so real in so many ways, even though it's about someone who is a horse. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you know, one of the main characters in that, played by Alison Bree, is 
East Asian, uh, but she's played by Alison Brie, who is white. And I love Alison Brie. She's a brilliant performer. I love the way that she performs as Diane. But ultimately, part of me is is kind of thinking, like, that's Netflix. They can find someone who can play that part. Like, they can find that. I've got a question there as well, which is that if you're going to cast Alison Brie for it, surely that was a decision that was made in advance. Right. Like, why not just, you know slightly change the character yeah, modeling exactly. so that you're not making a kind of problematic character casting. Right. You know, there is a history in cartoons as well which which have the same they share the same freedom as yeah. audio, right? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. it is audio work that they put the pictures to, but there is a history of, you know, kind of doing like as, as, things that I love like the Simpsons, you know, Apu uh, has not been great for, you know, uh, South Asian representation. <laughs> yeah. Like there's a lot of comedians, you know, now years and years after, now there's a lot of comedians talking about that and like you know talking about how that's affected the way they've experienced the world you know um, and that's great to see that coming out but like it's strange to me that Bojack Horseman is so it's so uh, progressive in so many ways but it hasn't quite still hasn't kind of dealt with that issue I think. unless maybe it was sort of a deliberate purple dog on their part which I could see where if you go alright let's create a really obvious problem uh, right, maybe. Uh, so that everyone looks at that and doesn't look too deeply at what other problems we might have. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, maybe. a really glaring misstep can can kind of help your cause to an extent, I think. It can. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, because then at least you go, yeah, sorry. Right. And then that's your one done. Right. And then people move on and talk about something else. Like, I, I mean, I, I'm entirely theorising. I, I don't know if that was intentional or not. I no. Doubt, in fact, I doubt it. I don't think so. Because I, <laughs> I, I, I literally don't think they've had any flack. Because I think that, that, that unlike uh, many whitewashing scandals that have happened in Hollywood over the last few years, I think people just love Bojack Horseman so much that no one's prepared to like... That's that's part of the it's problem. It's funny that. It's funny that. You can get away with anything as long as it's good enough is the... Yeah, it's the issue. Um, <laughs> yeah. You come from a technical background, right? Is that right to say? Yeah, or? to an extent, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think I started in an editorial way. So, like, I think I started doing all these this kind of stuff as a musician. Um, I was always in bands when I was growing up, and so right. I learned how to use mics and stuff, and right. I could. Uh, <laughs> and like most editors of major podcast dramas uh, I played the bass and you can look this up like, that it, makes sense to um, me I've been in bands and I, I, I can understand why bassists would become producers yeah because you get so bored <laughs> <laughs> you're holding everything together and you're, yeah. but you're also kind of looking at it from the outside like, yeah. it's a very production kind of role absolutely absolutely and like the, and the, kind of, the more you show off as a bassist the more annoyed everyone gets right. so you kind of you kind of end up trying to take a different angle at creativity as a result I think maybe that's the reason I think also there's a kind of frustrated guitarist in most places <laughs> yep. and and editing is a thing where you can go no I have the keys <laughs> no, no, I'm um, and then uh, basically I went to uni and uh, got into comedy societies because I'd kind of vaguely started doing stand-up when I was at school and then and I was kind of getting frustrated with the persistent student comedy problem of you doing it to your friends all the time and then I started making my first podcast, which I think is still available online somewhere, which is called The Nihilist Gardening Hour, which is made with a guy called Sam Nicaresti out of Sam and Tom. They're still going up very, very good, if you ever get a chance to see them. Um, and then I made a sketch show at uni as well called King Meanie with Liam Byrne, who later became the BBC staff writer for a bit. And then uni finished, and I went, oh, uh, 
I'm not sure what my philosophy and politics degree is really going to do for me in life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the eternal uh, question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and I kind of looked for work. Uh, I, I got an interview for a marketing job at a college and I, I turned up a day late for the interview. I just got the wrong day. And at that point I went, <laughs> I just oh god I oh and so then I ended up doing a master's in radio production at Goldsmiths which is a course that I would highly recommend if you want to get into this kind of stuff I know a few people who are kind of in the in the the top of the podcast world or audio world who've, who've done that together, yeah so. the, or the alumni of it and I think the teaching's very good but mostly it's having a year to can we swear on this podcast yes yeah uh, having a year to fuck about in audio right with like kind of no consequences but with there being a tutor over your shoulder to go you could just do this and it would be so much better and you go oh okay okay right okay uh, and it kind of gives you a year out to really get it and while I was doing that I got really obsessed with the kind of technical sides of audio and basically just started acquiring kit and I think that's what separates techies from normal people yeah, is you yeah, yeah. kind of actually look at a microphone and go ooh <laughs> <laughs> rather, yeah. rather than yeah, going yeah, yeah. ah right right um, and yeah and so sort of started kind of training myself to do a lot of this stuff with that with the help of a guy called Neil Bull who's the studio manager at Goldsmiths who's a kind of he's a technical wizard um he was world service studio engineer for like 18 years or something and so any kind of question about analog kit he'll have like an instant answer for you that you can really help with and so I started playing the plug-in so that I'd have something to trick him with (laughs) then kind of over time I sort of built an arsenal of technical stuff that I can use and have fun with and really they're just tools for creativity like on the surface of it but there's a pleasure in itself if you're kind of technically minded of just sitting down with some raw material and really making it as weird as you can right and then trying to fix it again because then you kind of really get to learn your kit and that kind of stuff that's how people start calling you a a technical wizard and I think the first time I got called a technical wizard was like one of the happiest days of my life Uh, (laughs) like yeah it just feels like you know value at last (laughs) I've got a thing I can do how do we get here? You know, well, like, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, we're, yeah, I'm sort of it. like trying to draw out the kind of relationship, I guess, between your technical training and your technical framing and the creative elements of what you do as well. You were playing bass, which is a creative thing. Yeah. And you were doing stand up, which is also a creative thing. Yeah. And then you kind of put these two things together. And as you say, like the technical stuff you do is just a, a way of getting creative. Yeah. But it's, but it's also, it's, 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 but it's also a different, it's a different form of kind of creativity, I guess. There's a lot of different kinds of ways of being creative, I guess. And mm. so as as someone who's probably worked in audio or worked with audio kind of a similar amount of time, like from, from university onwards or whatever, and I was in bands growing up, you know, as yeah. a teenager, but I was a, a lead singer and a kind of bad guitarist and later a bad ukulele player, but... Either way, Excellent like, choice. but those are those are the positions in the band where you don't learn the tech. Yeah, those yeah. Where, where you kind of not you don't think it's beneath you, but you kind of don't. I mean, some, some people might, but I didn't. I, I, but you just, I, I like, I'm still using a Zoom H2N uh, when you know, you know, I've been doing this since 2011, and I'm still using the same bit of kit. Part of that is because I like the continuity. Part of it is because I'm afraid to use anything else because I kind of know <laughs> this bit of kit and that's all I know. Well, it works. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um... But you've got a different kind of, you know, you, broadly speaking, you can kind of see there's like parallels between our interests and the kind of art we create. Yeah. But the kind, but the way that you engage with it, your creative process is very different from mine. I think so. I'm interested in hearing think, about that. I think it slightly comes out of ambition to an extent. Where when we set about making overcoats, we kind of wanted to, you know 
a lot of it for John and I was sorry, the dogs picked up a wire tie thing. It's trying to eat, yeah, it's uh. trying to eat metal. Because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, um, at the peak of evolution. <laughs> it's going, it's going, going into the bin now to get the metal. Uh, stop it. It really wants that metal. Uh, whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so when we started. When we started doing Overcoats, it was kind of like, how can we make it sound like a BBC sound studio without the BBC sound studio? Uh, and originally we were kind of like tearing our hair out trying to find a real a real radio drama studio. And then basically Felix asked a really good question, which was, can't we just do it in a music studio where bands kind of make demos? Right. And then that kind of created a head-scratching moment. And then we just sort of worked it out. I think the the bass thing is quite key here because like, as a bassist you spend a lot of time going like how can I sound like that bassist what are right. the settings and like you kind of look right, it right, up right. and then you kind of recreate it and then you go oh I don't really like that with my kit and so you slightly change it and what have you and like it's that great Roman Mars saying which is creativity is just theft with a touch of incompetence um, <laughs> <laughs> um, right. and and so the kind of creation of the way we did Overcoast was just going okay so you need an XY stereo setup, which is two mics turned inwards a bit. That's all it is. And you need a space that sounds roughly like how you want it to sound. And so we found this studio in Brixton, which just had all of these kind of sound baffles and things. Uh, so it was kind of just problem solving. And like I, I had a thing that we wanted to make and a really big problem in that we didn't have the money just to go into the BBC Radio Drama Studio. And so it was like, okay, how can we recreate this in this space and then, you know, just sort of worked it out and did a lot of googling and did a lot of research and kind of figured it out to an extent the the kind of relationship between being a bit technical and creativity is it's just those paths are more well trodden for you after a right. while because you keep coming across problems that are like that and then it, uh, when you've got a fix that you've done in the past then you instantly go bam okay that's not a problem anymore it, right and so you find new problems like new things that you want to achieve and then find new ways to solve them and (laughs) and most of that really for me has happened kind of in in the edit i got to a point where i was starting to get really frustrated with essentially free sound the samples that were available to me and those kind of things and that became a big problem which was how do i make my own stuff short of spending you know six weeks traveling the world gathering all the possible sounds i could ever want uh and so at that point i started trying to teach myself to use MIDI stuff. And that's an ongoing project. I'm not good at that yet. I'm not as good as, say, someone like Odin is. Uh, Odin Hilmarsson is an amazing composer who did all the compositions for Heads of Us of the Future. And any play you'll see at the Vault Festival that right. has music in it, right, right. likelihood is Odin's written it. Right. Um, and he's an amazing Icelandic composer, you can call him, uh, even though he's, you know, he speaks with a, a very you know kind of English accent now, <laughs> and so yeah, you, I've kind of found a load of ongoing quests to improve my armory of stuff that I can do just by finding more and more problems in more shows. And yeah, so I think I think I've <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the incompetence thing. I think totally, uh, which is that you know you 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 find you find a problem, you find the way someone else has dealt with it, and then you do that badly, and then, right. you, then you fix what you've done. But it's also um, knowing enough to be able to fix it. Yeah. And that's the kind of level I, you know, if, if I often, you know, in terms of the way I will solve problems, it'll be, you know, more about finding a way to not 
have to do the complicated things yeah. and make that justifiable within the world of whatever I'm creating. And so that's one approach. Yeah. And that is, you know, I'm not saying it's been completely unsuccessful for me, but like... I'd the, argue it's been very successful. Yeah, exactly. But there is a kind of sense that I do kind of respect very much the kind of thing that you can do, which is go in there and go, we want to do this... We've got this. How do I do that with that? I you think know, and, some and would argue that if I'd taken some of your wisdom earlier, <laughs> things would have gone a lot smoother for a lot more people. Right. Well, uh, the, grass, <laughs> the grass is always greener on the other side. But, yeah. uh, but also, you know, don't, don't think that my approach necessarily means that uh, it's smooth for the, my co-workers. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely not the case. Um, I, think, I think a bit of both is the, is, is the sort of... Um, is the dream end goal, really. But I, I, yeah, I think, <laughs> um, I think there's a there's definitely some level of substance in the fact that I I almost never think to do that, which is that you know obviously it seems like the sensible option, which is if there's something that you can't do, don't try and do it. <laughs> no, um, how many great things have been made because somebody tried to do something that they can't do? Yeah, yeah. I mean that's you know that's kind of what you're talking about in terms of creativity being kind of theft plus incompetence. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, I I often think creativity is about extreme hubris, convincing yourself that something <laughs> that's impossible is possible, and then you make it, and it's not not what you aimed for but it's something near that you know yeah, and, that's, yeah. So and that a, can be the good thing of it. yeah great creativity is aim high miss high I think. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. And, also, and also if you don't tell yourself it's possible to do it at the beginning you'd never put, get yourself into it because i'm sure you have a similar like the family tree has been like this like if we'd have realized the amount of work it would be at the beginning we would never have decided to do it yeah but because we convinced ourselves it was achievable uh we we have achieved it yeah, even though it's been a lot more work and blood and sweat and tears than we expected. And I'm sure Wooden Overcoats and oh, totally. all your projects are like this. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think the, the the best example of one that was really like that was, was Hector. Um, oh, yeah, Hector versus the future. Um, which was a ridiculous turnaround um, because essentially what we planned to do was have all the scripts ready in advance and then go into the theatre and then... Dog's barking. Oh my god! Okay, <laughs> she'll be fine. Uh, yeah, the, what we plan to do was have all the scripts in line and then kind of record them fortnightly, and then kind of have the rough edits done by the time the recording process was finished. Now, what happened was the scripts weren't finished when we started recording, and so the Jameses were having to write them. I was in theory having to give script feedback and direct them in advance, uh, and so that that fell apart because the time frame became much smaller. So. Uh, I ended up essentially directing the Obsidatium while he directed the Obsolitium. So we had wow. basically two directors on two halves of it. Wow. Uh, and and then all of the rushes were kind of came together at the end of it and there were enormous problems with those. Like there was one recording where one mic wasn't working, so we had to ADR everyone who was on that mic. Wow. <sighs> and uh and on the very first recording, one of the shotguns was right next to the transformer in the roof of the etc. theatre, so there was an electrical buzz over the whole thing. So I had wow. to find the noising software, which is how I know how to use that now. I mean that's um, good stuff <laughs> to learn how to use. Clients are always asking me to do that and I'm always just like, Yeah, yeah, maybe you can do that. It probably yeah. won't matter. But I mean the, the annoying <laughs> added with denoising um, is that the less something needs it the more effective it is um, which is oh, so irritating right right that's right um, and often denoising will take out tones and so it will give you uh, problems as well as solutions yeah, sometimes kind of starts sounding like a weird like yeah robotic yeah, kind of sound to sound people's voices yeah so and then the, the end point of that was overcoats need, needed to start in November and Hexa needed to go out every week 
before then in order for it to be able to happen. And so I was in a position where I was editing what, again, were supposed to be half-hour scripts, but because of the nature of the time constraints, had become 45-minute right. scripts. The old Winston Churchill adage, yeah. you know, I didn't have time to write a short letter, so Ex I wrote you a long one. Exactly. Uh, it's exactly and true. And it's really true. In, in audio, um, <laughs> it's the truest thing ever. Like, if someone wants <clears throat> me to make a 15-minute or a 5-minute piece, great, but it's going to take me loads and loads and loads and loads of time. Yeah, it's going to take forever to make that small <laughs> thing. Um, and so we ended up in a position where I was trying to turn these out weekly and while still recovering from the last week's work because I was, had a full-time job at this point. So I was coming home <laughs> and doing an edit for a 45-minute show and my normal kind of... Yeah. The thing I tell people is I spend an hour per minute on it. And right. whether, whether that hour per minute is all work or whether it's just trying things and then coming back on it or, you know, sitting and having a cup of tea and recovering from what I've just done right. and trying to work on the next bit it, it needs to take that time and that is important stuff like people often th don't realise that kind of you need time to think yeah it's not you know, if you want to make something creative whether it's and if it's editing it is going to be creative like yeah. people often think that's just a practical job no, it's not you, at all it's not um, and you need to think it through and you need to kind of process it afterwards and all of that there stuff. has to be a lot of subconscious work on it as right, well I find. right 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 I've, the best edits I've ever done are where I've had a deadline that's like three months in the future and I've done nothing for two months but <laughs> But it's been kind yeah, of in my head. Worked and I've been on it. Exactly, yeah. And then you sit down and it just falls together. And yes. you're like, oh, God, okay, it's, it's kind of perfect. I'm going to work on it, but it's, it's there already. Right. Whereas these edits were like, okay, let's assemble it on Monday, take it apart on Tuesday, put it back together again on Wednesday, send it for notes. Oh, it's all awful. Okay, right, fix it on Thursday, <laughs> <laughs> send it again, and then make some interesting decisions on Friday. Right. And it was out on Saturday morning. Right. And, it was like, and that was every week for, for seven weeks whilst working a you know, 35-hour job in the daytimes. And so, essentially, I'd end up working an 80-hour week for seven right. weeks. And, like, that was hell. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And for that reason, I, I don't think we're going to do Hexer in the same way ever again. Right, you have to learn from that. It's like we yeah. had the same thing with the, the season one of The Family Tree. Like, we edited 24 episodes uh, over August. And so, like, it was basically a full-time job. Oh, my God. Like, it was like, you know, like, when I, you know, it was like nine till seven every day or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, intensive. And, yeah, I'm, we're never doing that again. Yeah, And yeah. Uh, we've learned from that. We had to do that, though, because that was, we, we'd given ourselves the deadlines like, like you had. And, you know, when you'd done that, you just have to suffer. But, like, <laughs> it, learning from that suffering process is the ideal, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, like, I learned so much in those seven weeks because it, it was like having a another intensive kind of course right again, right right um on on how to use all the kit and stuff where like you know i got to the end of it and i was like oh i could have made episode one so much better now now yeah uh but i'm not i'm not starting again in fact i'm never even looking at this right. I'm, I'm just gonna be sick in a bin for a, a few hours and then, yeah, that's really real because uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, that's one of the things people forget as well with sound it has like a physical effect on your body yeah and like actually like you know if i've been editing for hours and hours with headphones which is necessary because you get a different sound from the mm. headphones it's, ne it's needed but like you know it might I'll just feel physically my ears won't want anything over them. Like yeah. I need some space to. I guess my, you know, my the insides of my ears need some space to heal. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that. <laughs> like, but that's that's what it is. It certainly needs time to not be vibrating. Right. Um, right, right. Yeah, uh, and then of course, a week later, Overcoats started recording, uh, and then did that, <laughs> uh, and uh, that was that was actually really fun. Uh, the sec the second series to record that was like such a breath of fresh air after doing live recordings because live recordings are so much fun on the night but the the build-up to them is really difficult because you know it's like rehearsing for a play yeah and then like 
you don't we, get the best audio because it's live. Because it's live, yeah. yeah. And we we were doing it in the in the etc. Theatre, which has an aircon that is as loud as a herd of stampeding buffalo. <laughs> So we couldn't have it on, and it was the height of summer, and it was the year of the World Cup. Oh. So sometimes downstairs, well, in oh, fact, one in particular, speed, right. we recorded on the same day as the England-Iceland game, and we were like, oh, this will be fine, because, you know, maybe it'll be a couple of goals to England, and like we'll try to go over the cheers, and then it'll be okay. Turned out there were loads of Icelandic people downstairs in the etc. Uh, and when they started winning, they started doing these like chants, <laughs> like so loud and rhythmic and deep. That we were like, okay, well, at least at least a quarter of an hour of this episode is unusable. So we're going to have to do that again, and it's really hot, and you all want to leave. Yeah, I mean, like, um, you know, or you come up with a, an, in, an in-plot reason why there's an Icelandic football chorus happening over it, which is hard to do after the, when you've you know, got a final script. Yeah, I think, that, I think what happened there was the sound design was just much louder in that episode. Like, right. just, like uh, The handy thing was I got, I got Odin to make this gorgeous sort of synthetic drone for the up-to-datium to give the idea of like all these futuristic machines on at the same time uh, and so I could just turn it up uh, and if there was a kind of like a pulsing coming through it from right. people downstairs going ooh 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 then it sounds like it's part of the piece yeah. could easily be a machine it's, it's... Siggy or us yeah <laughs> 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Sigur Ross did a guest part <laughs> in episode four. Yeah, it's fine. Um, yeah, um, sounds like it sounds like you've sort of as you've I guess you, you've become you've given up your day job, right? Yeah, which sounds like you had to to a certain extent, like from from listening to the amount of uh, time you were putting in. Yeah, it becomes unfeasible to have a day job. I think around that, so in some ways, yeah, I think amazingly, I was also managing to go out more when I was doing all that because, like, uh, yes. sort of existing at yes. such a level of hyperactivity that, like going out and being out until like three in the morning and like getting drunk was like the best thing ever right. whereas now like having a quite a sensible work routine and kind of like oh, I'll just probably stay at home like I might even one day watch the one show because <laughs> 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 like, um, I think when you start living your life at that kind of frenetic pace you just you just want to do everything because you feel like you can. And then, of course, you just get ill more. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah, was just, to... when I got ill, I really got ill. Right. Um, I got strep throat a couple of times, which is like That's angrier tonsillitis. Yeah. Yeah. And mostly stopped it because in my family, my, my sister um, got, got ME a few years ago, uh, essentially from doing the same thing that I was doing, which was working all the time. Yeah, yeah. And also going out and having fun all the time. Right. And so I had a family member who was a warning on why not to do that yeah. and you know she had a word with me and was like maybe chill out a bit and so I have now chilled out a bit yeah it's, it's, it's really important <laughs> yeah like, I mean, as, a, as a freelancer I've had more like more time off than I've ever had in my life in some ways yeah it still feels like I'm constantly working yeah but like it, you have to force yourself to do it because you won't just it won't naturally come up in your week yeah absolutely you like if you don't do it you just work 24 hours yeah. especially because you know you're working with audio so that changes time anyway mm. and like we're in your 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 studio it's a small room like if you're in here with audio you, you know you could come out and it's like a week's gone by yeah and, 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 and you've just you know you just, you just I, I, slowly I don't know, you, lost you, weight in the room do you find the thing where you sort of you end up you eat a bit less obviously because you end up just working through lunch and then just yeah, getting a toast because you can eat at whatever. the same time yeah. and like let's still be playing but it, yeah. i find i just like you know i could have my phone next to me pinging and just going all day and then like i'll just keep working and be like and essentially say to my phone without saying to anyone else I'm busy go away and like you end up kind of bubbling yourself so much because it's like 
I wouldn't say it's like an actively really stressful job, but it, it's very all-consuming. Like, I kind of feel like if my mind is on anything other than the project while I'm working on it, I'll lose some magic about it, yeah. and like you'll 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 lose your grip on what's making it good. Well, it's different from other kinds of creativity because you know if you're writing, you might get stuck, you might not be able to write. Yeah. Um, but if you're using audio, the audio's there. You're never blocked in the same way. Yeah. So you 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 kind of constantly can be running it, constantly be thinking about it. Like so, so if you don't have breaks, if you don't make yourself have breaks, then you are in a really strange bubble, and it's time. It is time as well. Like that's something I try to get clients to understand: is that you know, if you give, if if I'm working with an hour of audio, then it's going to take at least three hours to like to just do a very very light edit yeah. of that yeah, because yeah, you've yeah. got to listen to it three times through and so like you know if it's more audio than that it becomes even more intensive you know if you're trying to edit 24 hours of audio down to an hour then yeah. that's you know like a life <laughs> that's a life Huge. plan <laughs> yeah. So, yeah so that's and that's the thing like when when Jen started making the family tree with me, that was the first time she'd kind of done any audio work, and she was just like horrified. Like it was quite, it was quite validating for me because I could see, like, finally, you know, after you know we've been together sixteen years, I've been working with audio a lot of that time, and she's never quite understood why it makes me so crazy. Yeah. And, like, and now she's like, whoa! I know, I, you know, I, I, I lost a whole day, and I, and I didn't hardly do anything, and I'm like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like editing. Well, like you actually probably did loads. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Like, right. Um, right. Right. Yeah. I was running a I was running a workshop at the podcast festival on sort of basics of editing, and I was showing people how to edit visually. So you know when you're kind of right. having you've got a spiel and then you have someone repeating something and then cutting the gap for it. Yeah. Uh, and then this very astute lady put her hand up and went like, "Surely it'd be better just to listen to it." And I went like, "In an ideal world, of course. However, you will have around sixty of these in you know ten minutes." Yep. And so this is how you want to do it, right. and then listen to it afterwards. So then exactly. you only have to listen to it once rather than a and million pick up times. on any of the mistakes you make when yeah. you listen to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so definitely don't uh, visually edit and then not listen back to it. That's yeah. a big mistake. Yeah. But yeah. But like, uh, but visually edit so that you don't have to listen to something for a bit, and your ears can just chill. Yeah. Um, Although when you first start out, it takes a little bit. Like Jen's still at the at the period of time of learning how sound how, looks. How it looks. Yeah. 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 Uh, I ended up trying to draw a load of uh, diagrams in my prep for it <laughs> and going like, this is what breath looks like. And I realised yeah. I'd just drawn some squiggles. And right, I was like, right, right. There's no way you can really... Right. You, and this is an You arm. just know yeah, when, yeah, you're, yeah. when you've been doing but it. But then forever. everybody, like, I don't know, like, ums, ums are... Like, I remember, like, I did some work with Pod Academy and, and a woman f- who, who was involved in organising that said... Uh, to me, ums look like snails. Like I get really angry with them. They look like snails. I, I can't see that. Yeah, uh, ums don't look like snails at all. Like I don't get that. But also, ums do look quite varied. It depends on the ummer. Like yeah, yeah. I think maybe her ums look like snails. Maybe her individual ums. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. And, and that, I would completely understand why you'd hate them so much because it's like particularly kind of your own ums. Yeah. Like, there's there's nothing. Yeah. Exactly. Your own verbal tics. My, like, mine is uh, yeah. Like it, <laughs> like when I listen back to it and. I have to repeatedly. I just hear this, this like gormless idiot. <laughs> and, like I know what the waveform looks like because it sort of it starts big and then goes small and then I I think I in some way put the H on so it has a little tail on it. And I'm like, oh no, it's another year. <laughs> I hate it. Right, right. Yeah, I I have a number of verbal tics and like as as the, doing game bear acquaintance has gone on, you know, I, I I edit less of the ums out. You know, at the beginning I was very get rid of every kind of anything, but now I I, I kind of have have come round to the 
to both the reality that it kind of gives more character to what someone's saying to leave like their whole kind of way of saying it in but the the other thing is that just in terms of time like mm. i need to turn that show this show around weekly yeah like there has to be compromises made between quality and speed like uh, that's just what i have to do and, yeah, and if a show like this can be fairly low maintenance for you then it, it's it can tick over exactly. Whereas if it's really high maintenance, it's going to ruin your life, right? Uh, and so just don't don't let it ruin your life, right? That's my kind of new. Well, that's what like philosophy. yeah. Well, well getting, better acquainted, getting better acquainted went out on resonance uh, for a couple of years, uh, and then I just had to knock that on the head because to put it out on resonance means to edit it for half an hour or an hour for oh, a radio, yeah, And yeah. so everything that's freeing about doing getting better acquainted is taken away, yeah. and you're just like spending hours and hours with something you've already edited. You know, for yourself in the, in the past, in a way you were <coughs> happy with, uh, trying to make it radio friendly as well, getting out all of the swearing and all of that stuff. Oh, so. that's no fun. Yeah. No, no, exactly. So then that, that that was a kind of baptism of fire of like, why, you know, maybe I did make the right decision uh, coming into the podcasting world rather than uh, trying to get into radio. You know, the, the, well, at this stage, it's, it's definitely with hindsight I can say, yeah, I hate I hate making things half an hour. Of course. I also make the restart project, which is on Resonance FM, so I'm still doing that painful, making it half hour, 29 and a half minute fucking uh, nightmare every month. But, uh, you know, I yeah. get paid for it, so I yeah, can't complain. Enough. I mean, yeah. I can, but I won't. I, I had that issue when we were doing the uh, BBC Wales pilot, where we had essentially ended up with a really gorgeous 33 minute edit, and it was just like, I was so happy with it. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously they went, well, the slot's 27 and a half minutes. <laughs> It's like, oh god, I've got to cut six minutes. From That's this. a long time, actually. Like, it's a and it's it was a such time. a watertight script. It wasn't like there were bits in it that were like pointless, right? Uh, like, and so it just ended up being a case of, well, the only thing we can cut here is gags. So we just had to like cut the yeah. try and make a value judgment about which the least good gags were in it, and then just try and cut them. And then it became once all those were gone, and all all the ones that just didn't drive plot at all so you're cutting really good gags right. that just were there as a little side sketch and it's like oh god I hate right. this oh. uh, we, but I got it down to exactly 27 and a half minutes right exactly I mean, there's a, there's a, <laughs> there is a certain satisfaction when you get to that point yeah uh, but the, the the sadnesses that you experience before that point of like you say cutting things or the other problem that I often have with uh, Restart is there'll be a really great 25 minute yeah, and then I've got to find two and a half minutes, you know, whatever. Like at the end oh, of it, and it's like, jingles in. Well, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But like when you're working, like trying to keep your hours to what you're being paid for. Yeah, that's you know true. that's where it, that's where it all becomes difficult. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So it's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you today. Um, and yeah, like it's 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 nice to see how somebody else uh, does this uh, weird thing that we do. Mm. Uh, and it's also nice to hear hear the the different way that you do it. Um, the last question that I ask everybody is, do you have anything to plug? I have a few things to plug. The Overcoats Kickstarter's just finished, so sorry if you wanted to give more money and you only just realised <laughs> we plugged it pretty hard, so yeah. I don't think anyone's going to really be in that category. I mean, look um, out for the one for season four and make sure you give money for that, and then uh, yeah, then, yeah, yeah. then you can be forgiven. For there not may well be one. Thing. I think, um, and we also have like kind of merch stuff on the site, so there's always ways you can support it if you want to. We've got the Militarist podcast coming out in. November um, uh, every month me, Tom Crowley, uh, Lucy Farrett and Molly Beth Marosa do a night called The Night yeah. at Brasserie Zadell 
um, which is kind of cabaret. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, um, we're we're the sort of, we're, we're the night players, and we kind of do a new story in between the acts every month. So it's like a different kind of cabaret. Right. Coming down to, and the venue's very classy. Yeah, I mean, um, any, <laughs> anybody that's kind of missing the kind of. Uh, hiatus of stand-up tragedy from the variety night circuit uh, should go to the night for sure because it's like it's like i'm really glad that somebody's actually making it work i mean like because you're, you're getting quite good audiences and all that yeah stuff, pretty right? good yeah we're very yeah. happy with it yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah um hopefully like it'll keep growing um rather than do the thing that some nights do where they just like we're doing really really well and suddenly no one's coming right right, right. But, um, indeed it does the thing is crossed it'll keep blowing <laughs> on <laughs> i might have a play on in Bolt Festival next year um, called Cleanse. So, shall we do a thing where if I find out in the next week that oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That I you, have got it? If you find out before this goes out, then let me know and I'll add a little note at the end. Yeah. Okay, I'm just going to put at some point during the Vault Festival, I'll have my new play called Cleanse, which is uh, a interactive kind of tragic comedy about um, orthorexy and the problems of trying to eat well. Or Vault Festival. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, and that's it. That's it. That's Brilliant. It. Uh, and the last thing I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Oh, goodbye, everyone. Thanks for spending time with us. <laughs> Bye. And you can hear my solo show, What About the Men? mansplaining masculinity as a podcast it's available on the stand-up tragedy podcast feed it's the last podcast that went out on that feed you can also read more about the show over on its website mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk I've been thinking a lot about my dad and based on that thinking I've been putting together some kind of personal essays I guess I'm putting one of them out on Medium every Thursday for the next couple of months they're called Down to a Sunless Sea Memories of My Dad I'll put a link in the show notes and if you follow me on Twitter Goosefat101 you'll be able to see there when the next one comes out As well as making Getting Better Acquainted, I also co-produce and, I guess, star in the magical realist audio drama podcast, The Family Tree. In order to keep making it and to make season two as good as we want it to be, we need your help. So if you can afford to, then please do consider signing up to our Patreon appeal. You can follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can like Getting Better Acquainted on Facebook. And you can find Getting Better Acquainted on iTunes, SoundCloud, those kind of places. But remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.